Welcome to Point Two Law Review. I'm John Brandt. And I am Carson Messersmith. And we are here the week of February 20th, 2024 through February 24th, 2024. And it's a fairly quiet week. Yeah. It, it seems like we kind of have a, uh, a passive week, I want to say, from the uh, Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court here. Um, you know, not that they're all nothing burgers, but just kind of a, a week where we don't have anything that is uh, jump off the page uh, lights and sirens worthy. But stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there might be something, you know, lights and sirens is in this uh, business and uh, profession is probably dependent on what kind of stuff you got going well, that, on. That, that's true. And it's kind of one of those things where you never know when there's going to be one little nugget in one yeah. case that means the world to your lights and sirens. So. I've uh, changed law chunks to law portions today. I hope that's okay. Law portions. Okay, so that sounds like I'm eating a TV dinner. I like that. I know. I was, I was thinking law gumbo, law stew, but yeah. law portions is what law I went with. Law portions. So we out with the old law chunks <laughs> and in with the new <laughs> law portions. Okay. All right. Let's do ex parte summary. What do we got for Nebraska Supreme Court? Go ahead, Carson. All right. First one we come to is state versus Nympanee and jury instructions consent i got uh state v lear and that's speedy trial state and defendant toll question mark all right all right jump into it so as we can hear i'm a little bit under the weather so i'll try to motor through um we start with state of the nebraska state of nebraska versus nympany and this is an appeal from the district court for lancaster county after a conviction of first-degree sexual assault and a sentence of 35 to 40 years imprisonment. Basic facts here, and again, this is kind of one of those rough opinions, so I'm not going to go a ton into the facts, but essentially, young woman who is intoxicated in downtown Lincoln gets picked up by Mr. Nimpany. She doesn't know him. He's a stranger. Um, she's kind of lost, uh, lost her group, um, is heavily intoxicated, ends up in his vehicle, um, and ends up at, at some point being sexually assaulted by Mr. Nimpany until uh, Lincoln law enforcement show up. Uh, I'm guessing probably because they were either parked somewhere or looked like an abandoned vehicle or something shady looked like it was happening. At which point the alleged assault stops. Um, the young woman runs over to the police officer and Mr. Nimpany is arrested. And so the big issue on appeal is um, jury instructions in regards to um, the actual sexual assault jury instruction and then the element of consent. And, you know, quite frankly, a lot of this case wrestles with the issue of consent and intoxication and when you're uh, unable to consent. And essentially the Supreme Court says here that there is no bright line rule for uh, how much intoxication is too much intoxication to be able to consent. And so uh, we basically have to go on an individual case and what um, level of intoxication that individual had and whether or not it could demonstrate that there was not um, consent. And so here the Supreme Court basically says that they met both the elements um, of consent or, or both the differentiations of consent, which was one, that there was affirmative non-consent and then two, that there was also this intoxication and then secondly, and I thought this was maybe interesting because this is a uh, distinguishing uh, case from some prior uh, sexual assault cases when I guess the statute had changed. Um, and essentially what the Supreme Court says here is that there used to be uh, 
the statute used to not have an element of consent that the state had to prove. And so consent was simply a defense and you could have the jury instructed on that defense. But now um, consent or lack thereof is an element that the state must prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And so therefore you don't have a right to be instruct to a jury instruction as to a defense of, um, of consent. And so that was kind of an interesting, uh, distinguishment that they made here, uh, in regards to the current statute and the way that the jury instructions end up playing out, uh, versus how it used to play out. But, um, in the end, uh, this matter was affirmed. All right, State v. Lear. This is a Buffalo County District Court uh, case. The defendant here requested a continuance at a status hearing for additional time on discovery. And uh, what's key as far as the assignment of error goes is the state joined in the um, request for a continuance. So the state joined with the defense counsel um, to receive the continuance for additional discovery. And then when it got uh, about time for the jury trial that was scheduled, the defendant filed a motion for absolute discharge um, because the state joined in that continuance and the statute says defendant or defendant's counsel. The district court denied the uh, uh, motion for absolute discharge and specifically cited 291207-4B. Uh, which indicates that when the defendant requests a continuance that places the time outside of the six months, it acts as a waiver of speedy trial. That was appealed, and the Court of Appeals agreed with the district court and affirmed and indicated that it was the defendant's motion, and it really doesn't matter whether the state joined or not. The defendant made the motion. So um, whether the state was, uh, you know, uh, excited about the continuance or didn't care or indifferent, it doesn't really matter as far as the speedy trial is concerned. There's a little statutory interpretation of 291207-4B, well, 291207, uh, looking at all the paragraphs there um, and, and kind of distinguishing between um, some things that might make that argument uh, a little more clear versus otherwise. But the uh, denial of the motion for absolute discharge was affirmed on appeal. That's it for the Supremes. That's it for the Supremes, although there was a uh, Council for Discipline opinion. So, again, those are always helpful uh, to look at to uh, guide yourself. But, again, on this podcast, we do not go through those. Uh, That's true. All right, Court of Appeals, what do we got? All right, so Court of Appeals, we start with McCroy versus Nebraska Department of Correctional Services. And this is actually kind of an interesting opinion um, in that we don't – glean anything from the actual opinion as to what's going to happen with this case but it is an interesting one that you know maybe we'll follow and see later so basically what happens here is that uh, McCroy was appealing a Douglas County District Court's dismissal of his petition for a writ of habeas corpus contending that he was being confined by the Nebraska Department of Correctional Services beyond the term of his sentence and so the interesting piece that happens here was that in uh, 2004, McCroy received a sentence of 18 to 20 years imprisonment for a robbery, um, which also carried a 10-year mandatory minimum due to uh, McCroy's status as a habitual criminal. But due to a miscalculation of McCroy's release date related to the mandatory minimum, the Department of Correctional Services released McCroy on June 24, 2013, five years before his actual release date. So they erroneously released him five days prior to when he was supposed to be released, But then 
Mr. McCroy couldn't keep himself out of trouble. Um, and so he ends up committing two or uh, four new offenses between August 21st and October 16th of 2013 is rearrested and convicted um, on April of 2014. He received a cumulative sentence of 18 of eight to 18 years on the new convictions. And so then he's serving those new sentences um, and finished uh, serving the sentences on October 18th of 2013. And so here he thinks he's being released. But now the Department of Corrections says, hey, we got you. So they calculate in that erroneous uh, early release and um, add on another 1,825 days, five years of dead time related to his original sentence, making his new release date October uh, of 2027. And so essentially say, hey, you got you fooled us once, but you're not fooling us twice. And so the basis of this appeal, and that's why I say it's kind of an interesting one, is that uh, the Supreme Court found that a writ of habeas corpus was not um, the correct uh, avenue. And so they dismissed based on the pleadings um, and so uh, essentially found that uh, this was not the appropriate way to challenge the Department of Corrections. The Court of Appeals overrules that and finds that the a writ of habeas corpus, a writ of habeas corpus is the correct avenue and that the district court should not have uh, dismissed for uh, failure to state a claim and uh, should have at least heard the matter. They express no opinion on whether or not he'll be successful, uh, but they do reverse and remand it to the district court uh, for a hearing on uh, the petition uh, to actually get to the merits of what Mr. Uh, McCroy uh, had to say here. But I don't know. That one will be a unique one to to find out because I'll be interested to hear if um, that five years was running at the same time that he was serving his other sentence. So we'll see. <clears throat> we will. Um, interest of RC. This is a mental health board uh, commitment order. Uh, Mr. RC was committed uh, in the uh, district court of Douglas. Or, well, he was committed by the mental health board. And then uh, that was affirmed on the district court of Douglas County through the commitment order. There's a lot of facts here. Um, RC has a number of um, mental health issues, and he has a guardian. And I think the question, the main question was, is can he uh, function on his own safely? Is he a danger to himself or others? Um, or is the least restrictive placement in a committed type environment. Um, there is a good discussion about the standards and there's several law portions uh, about mental health board standards, citing statutes and case law. And if you have a case um, involving the mental health board, this would be a good one to look at. Um, they ultimately concluded that although R.C. might have been able to meet some of his own needs upon release, the evidence showed he would not have been able to meet all of them. So that appears to be the standard about meeting all your needs. And then they look to the least restrictive uh, treatment alternative and ultimately conclude that the district court was correct in affirming the mental health board order and uh, Mr. R.C. was, uh, the commitment was affirmed. Okay, next opinion we come to is State versus Blackhawk, and this is um, an appeal from a conviction and sentence in the Lancaster County District Court. Um, and the appeal, the appeal um, is based on insufficiency of the evidence and uh, excessive sentence and then ineffective assistance of counsel. 
And so uh, Mr. Blackhawk was um, charged with seven counts, two of assault by strangulation, uh, third degree domestic assault, third degree assault, first degree criminal trespass, criminal mischief, and resisting arrest. And so the only reason I read through all those is that this opinion is fairly straightforward, a ton of facts, uh, but the court does go um, basically charge by charge uh, through the statute, uh, the elements that are required, and then the facts meeting those elements. So uh, if you have any of those and you're you're needing facts to support that and what can support a conviction, um, what actually is going to uh, rise to the level of meeting those things or that the Court of Appeals views as meeting those elements, uh, it goes through all those uh, word by word, case by case. And so uh, that's kind of the interesting piece in this one. But in the end, this case was affirmed. In re Aliyah R., uh, state of Nebraska versus Sheila B. The uh, county court here um, terminated the parental rights of Sheila, who is the biological mother of Aaliyah, born in 2008, uh, Juliana, born in 2014, and Noah, born in 2015, and Stephanie, born in 2020. Um, the uh, termination here is based on, you know, as they always are, a ton of facts, uh, but the main fact here, and what I'm you know, gleaning in all of these is once you have 15 out of 22, nothing else really matters. Um, so they had 15 out of 22 months and it was not disputed on appeal. And the state focuses, or the, excuse me, the court of appeals focuses on that. And the statutory grounds for termination was found. So the only real inquiry is whether it's in the best interest and unfitness of the parent. There are, uh, several law portions here, um, regarding, um, best interests. If you have a juvenile case set for termination or something up on appeal, uh, this would be something to look at as far as the current um, current basis for best interests that you could either argue around or through or under uh, to try and uh, help your client or um, if you're on the other side, uh, do your worst, I suppose. But uh, that's where we are with uh, Enre Aliyah, the uh, termination of parental rights was affirmed on appeal. Okay, next case we come to is State versus Cobbs. This is an appeal from a plea-based conviction of the District Court of Sarpy County um, on a charge of first-degree sexual assault. Um, here, you know, kind of ordinary things as far as the uh, court considered the relevant factors. The interesting portion here was that there were police reports that did not lead to any kind of charges against Mr. Cobbs that were included in the PSI. Basically, what the Court of Appeals says here is that the trial court has uh, wide discretion as to the sources and types of information used to assist him or her in determining sentences to be imposed within the statutory limits. And so, and I'll give trial counsel credit here because they objected to the inclusion of those police reports at the uh, sentencing. And so they pre did preserve this as an issue for appeal, but basically um, it's saying here with a normal sentencing, the trial court judge kind of gets to take whatever information they want into consideration and have broad uh, discretion to, to do so. And so there was no reversible error, uh, but just kind of an interesting uh, law what are we calling it again? Law portion. Law portion. I don't know. We'll come there. up with something yeah, better. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll, yeah, it'll we'll be. workshop yeah. law portion a little bit. But, uh, you know, it cuts both ways there too, right? So if they get to put the police reports in, uh, maybe there's some other things that the defense wants yeah, to put Yeah, some in. pretty extraneous. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then And maybe that is something to be considered letters or all those kind of things that yeah. you want in there. So, yeah. Okay. This is State v. Lam Lambert. Uh, it is a district court of York County appeal. 
The uh, issue here is at the time of sentence, well, let me go back. Mr. Lambert was convicted of five counts of uh, possession of visual depictions of sexually explicit conduct, second offenses. And um, at the time for his sentencing, his counsel moved to continue the sentencing uh, because the PSI complaint uh, contained a Vassar II test and the defendant's counsel moved to continue it claiming that the Vassar II only des- was only designed for physical conduct. Um, the only evidence presented regarding that uh, position was the uh, trial or the district court, excuse me, the defense counsel's statements that he had spoke to people uh, knowledgeable in the field and that they indicated that that was only for physical conduct. Um, the district court denied the motion to continue and ultimately sentenced Mr. Lambert to six to 12 years on each count, which were going to be run concurrently. The court of appeals here goes through the... Um, elements for the continuance, which is abuse of discretion, or excuse me, the standard review for a continuance, uh, and it was abuse of discretion, and touches on the Vassar II uh, information. Uh, It's got, in the PSI, it it described what it was for, and it indicated here that the only evidence they had to say that the Vassar II was inapplicable uh, was the arguments of counsel, um, which was not enough to say that the Vassar II was not uh, was an improper measuring tool and that they needed to continue. So the motion to continue was denied and that denial of the motion to continue was affirmed on appeal. Um, and that's it for State v. Lambert. Is that it? I think that's it. Well, look at us go. You know, we're like the, the male here. It's uh, whether rain or sleet or snow or head cold. We're coming. We're, We're going to be up. there from now on after a, a, a January of nothingness. Are you a Dune fan? Um, It was okay. I wouldn't call myself a Dune fan, but it was watchable. Well, the the Dune 2, which yeah, is coming, yeah. getting rave reviews, coming out next Friday. Are you excited? I am. Uh, I might. It might be one of those things where I actually like see it in a theater. Yeah, it was one of the first... Um, at least I, if I'm remembering this right, it was one of the first like direct to HBO films. Oh, and really? So I remember watching it on that because it was like, oh, that's cool. Because that was when during like COVID when they started actually having movies yes. come direct to, to te- you know, whatever streaming. Yeah, I actually think I watched wild. it on my iPhone uh, because of the nature and circumstances of, of, your, my of your life at that point in time. Yeah, <laughs> well, that's fair. <laughs> you know, the only screen I was able to get was my phone uh, in a closet somewhere. I was hunkered down and, and watched it. So I think it would be really impressive on an IMAX or some kind of... Yeah, I think that would. And, you know, and you could do that. I, I learned a very interesting um, thing, which I probably should have known, but this is a leap year. So you oh. could... We got an extra day next week, which I was also thinking, why don't we just make that a holiday? We've all earned this for four years. We've all, you know, had this extra quarter of a day that we've been working up to every single year. I think that the 29th should just be a well, free-for-all. Um in 30 Rock, the old show that you're probably not familiar with, with Tina Fey and other people, yeah. they have a Leap Day. It was a very, they had they created this whole myth about Leap Day. I think it was Leap Day Liam or something like that, who had gills and, and Jim Carrey played him. And uh, it was a very big holiday in the 30 Rock universe. Well, I think it should be a big holiday in all, all of our universes. Well, yeah. You know, they took Festivus from a TV show and made True. it a thing. Yep. So uh, I guess if we want to celebrate Leap Day in the office here... Um, I can celebrate know. at your leisure, folks. You know, if you want to do something on on Leap Day, 
What would you do? I don't know. So how about how about this? Since it's rare, you do something you've never done before. Well, that's true. And I have some friends who will be celebrating like their fifth birthday, which is Aww. always cool. The Congrats people who are to born them. on happy, there. Yeah. Happy birthday. Happy happy leap year birthday. <laughs> Oh, okay. Well, that's it for uh, Point Two Law Review for this week. Go back to episode one to uh, listen to the disclaimer. Um, That's it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks, everybody.